0: I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to Episode 45, Sometimes I Need Someone. This week, we're discussing Season 3, Episode 10 of Buffy, Amends, and Series 4, Episode 2 of Doctor Who, The Fires of Pompeii.
1: As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. Okay, so Buffy first this week. And it's our, as you said I think last time, our one and only official Buffy Christmas episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's make the most of it. Um, just as Indeed. winter is ending here, we're going to have the Christmas episode. Yeah, and um, by the
0: time we actually post this, it will yeah, be great like and warm and Hopefully,
1: sunny. Hopefully it will be Which, springtime actually, by then. Which
0: actually, it is bright and warm and sunny in Sunnydale. I know. Well, I was just going to say,
1: apropos (laughs) of this year, we're getting some unseasonable weather. Um, And so I kind of like the way the whole episode plays with this idea, which you kind of think of as just sort of a funny motif, you know, about what it's like to live in California and have all Mm -hmm. your Christmases be, you know, temperate and sunny, you know. And it gets kind of more and more ridiculous as the, as it goes on. They're putting fake snow... Well, first the weather forecast says it's going to be kind of warm and sunny. They're putting fake snow on the trees. Um, Xander comments that it's hotter... Uh, outside than it is inside that like when they're in the bar it's actually cooler than it is outside right. and like
0: then they must have had the ac on or yeah
1: exactly on. and then joy in joyce at the end actually does consider putting on the air conditioning so that they can have a fire so <laughs> the heat is getting sort of increasingly more intense um and then of course it's all a lead in to the idea that it, or at least i read it um as the heat being kind of derived from the presence of the bringers that was my sort of reading of it was you know Mm. there's something about them being there and then when buffy sort of she doesn't defeat the first evil but when she sort of you know defeats the bringers the snow Mm -hmm. comes so there's sort of a you could maybe say say there's a logical or a scientific explanation behind the weather but there's also this idea of a, a a non-scientific, a, a spiritual element, you know, it, it. the first thing I thought of was pathetic fallacy, you know, in books where the weather reflects the mood of the characters or is right, even right. affected by the mood of the characters. So, right. you know, the, I don't quite, I guess the, the heat being um, a symbol of the mire that angels stuck in and then the sort of, I think you called it the cathartic, cleansing snow at the end, you know, that in, in the moment when they finally, you know, voiced all of these things that they've been bottling up and in the moment where it's the most despairing, you know, and the most desperate where nothing Buffy says can really convince him, you know, she says, if I can't convince you sort of what will, um, then you get this miraculous moment of, Mm
2: -hmm. you
1: know, Natural grace, you know, yeah, and and it's yeah. totally you catastrophic in Tolkien. I think sometimes, and I do this, you know, I want to slap you catastrophe on every happy ending, you know, and call <laughs> you know if it's sure if it's if it's a sudden happy ending, call it you catastrophe, and that might be true, but sometimes I feel like there's a stricter definition which has to do with it being not only unlooked for but undeserved. That it, there's a, there's an aspect of it, which it hasn't, it almost has nothing to do with what any of the characters have achieved right. or deserve. It's just a moment right. of, it's a freebie. It's,
0: it's, it's, yeah.
1: you know, God or the world or fate or does whatever you want to call it, or even just coincidence, something, something is giving you a free pass that this time you don't have to earn anything. You're going to get it for free, um. You know, and and Angel is at his darkest and most despairing. And Buffy is kind of run out of excuses of things she can say to convince him to keep fighting. And then the snow kind of does what words can't do or what rationalization can't do, you know, Um, Mm -hmm. which is kind of pure eucatastrophe. It's totally unpredictable and almost has no connection to any actions of the characters themselves. So I don't know whether, you know, maybe you have a slightly different reading, but uh, that was kind of the way I saw it.
0: Yeah. And I, the only thing I would sort of add to your description of it is, um, I mean, you're totally right. Everything up, you know, you get the rising tension and the, and the, um, you know, the fight and the appeals and, um, you know on both sides from from Buffy and Angel and of course the snow also comes cuz we get at the beginning of their discussion we've only got a few minutes and then they spend the next few minutes fighting mm-hmm. yeah so the snow literally comes in the last moment before yeah. yeah the sun is to come up Yeah. Um, and it's so thick and heavy that it completely blocks right, out the sun right 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 so
1: it's not only like um, it's not only like a moment a reminder of you know of and, hope or redemption, it also effectively prevents him from going through with killing himself. That it just says, you know what, not today. Yeah, You can't, and, even if you wanted and, to.
0: And I would point out that we do get from the news broadcast that it's only in Sunny Day. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That everywhere else is unaffected by this sudden and, right. and miraculous snowstorm. And, and Joss Whedon has even noted, uh, yeah, that it's you can't call it anything, but sort of the, the Christmas miracle, um, which is from, from Whedon's perspective. I mean, he's, he's an atheist. So like, (laughs) um, you know, that's a, that's a sort of an interesting thing that he would put that in there. Mm -hmm. I've got a few things. So here's the only other thing I, I was intrigued by your comment about whether or not it was the bringers who were sort of causing the heat. I don't, I've never thought of that before, so I don't want to immediately dismiss it. Here would be sort of my immediate response to it, is that, again, in the beginning, we get the um, weather report for pretty much all of California being mm-hmm. in this heat wave. Mm-hmm. So I'm not... Like if it was just Sunnydale you know, experiencing a heat wave and then suddenly Sunnydale experiencing the snow, right. I think we could tie it to that, so, but I'm not sure, but... Uh, the the thing, the reason why I hesitate to just sort of dismiss that outright is because I do think we're given some hints throughout this episode to think that there may be other forces, or at least an other force, mm-hmm. besides the bringers and the first evil, and and sort of the strongest hint of that that I would point to is is Buffy's very obvious point when she makes it. And and I think we're not to be blamed if we don't really consider it until she does bring it up in this episode. Uh, well, I mean, unless, like me, you've seen the episode before. <laughs> but, like, um, you know, she says... So There, there's... And and I, I know we're not necessarily getting into Angel and the first and all that yet, but there is the yeah. point, and I think this bears on sort of the whole theme of it. There's the point where... Um, the first, in in the guise of Jenny, uh, says that. Basically, takes responsibility or or, a um, uh, uh, you know a claim I guess for bringing Angel back yeah. from the Hell dimension yeah. or yeah. whatever, and Buffy says, "Wait a minute, this first evil tells you this, and you just believe him mm-hmm. or it or whatever." Like yeah. I mean you know, her, whatever, you know, whatever the right uh, pronoun is there, Uh, you know, like you, you just go and believe that, that they're telling you the truth that, you know, one, that they brought you back and two, that they had a purpose in bringing you back and three, that the purpose is either to kill me or to kill yourself. Like, you know, so like, like, I think we're invited to sort of look at that skepticism and say, yeah, like, I don't, I don't know, okay, if the first evil is truly this ancient, powerful thing, and I mean, it seems to be the case that they're ancient and powerful in some way, at least, we don't really know the details of that, at least not at this point, point. And, and if that's the case, like, is it, should we just sort of accept what it says at right. face value, or right. is there... There clearly seems to be manipulation going on. I mean, just look at the oh, way it yeah. treats Angel and stuff. So, like, are we invited to think that this miracle is perhaps an opposing force of some kind? Mm. And, I, you know, is it God? Is it some other ancient being that's, you know, more of a dualistic sort of thing? We don't know. I mean, it's it's just there's a miraculous snow yeah. that saves Angel's life. And in context of that, you have to sort of wonder, is is that actually what brought him back mm. from um you know right. the hell dimension, and is it saying basically what Buffy is saying literally out loud is it saying uh in in sort of your bringing up the pathetic fallacy there, yeah, maybe it that's exactly right, maybe it's them saying, yeah, hey, listen to her, yeah, you yeah. Need or, to, you know you need to yeah. stay alive and and we're not just gonna let you throw away this opportunity.
1: It, and it made, makes me think of another aspect of Tolkien's work where even if it is the first evil or, you know, one of the big bads that's responsible for this, that doesn't mean that it doesn't work to the benefit of the good guys in the end anyway. I mean, you think of, if anybody's read The Silmarillion, basically the, the, the god figure says to the Satan figure, you can meddle all you want, but there's nothing in your work that i can't make fit to my own design you know that any meddling which is you know so whether it was you know whichever if there is some sort of a good versus evil battle being going on here whichever one of them is you know literally responsible for returning angel um clearly it seems to have benefited the good guys in the long run, or at least it has the potential to. I mean, Angel's mm-hmm. certainly in control of his own choices, you know, and he can... It, I don't say that to mean that he doesn't have um, agency, you know, or that he can't decide his own fate. But yeah. um, but given, given Buffy's persuasion and given his own, you know, willingness to... Uh, not, you know, only see himself as a monster or not only want to destroy himself, he has the potential to work for the side of good, you know, to do mm-hmm. what Buffy says and to do real good. Even yeah. even if, you know, say the first did bring him back, that doesn't mean that he can't, you know, find redemption anyway, you know? Yeah. And it might end and... up working for, against the first evil, you know? They might right. end up, Ruined the day they brought him back in the first place.
0: Right, right, if they were responsible. If right. they
1: were yeah. responsible, which, as you point out, is sort of up for debate anyway, you know, because yeah, who's to say it's, we believe anything that they say? So.
0: Right, exactly. Right, especially given how, again, manipulative they are. Manipulative, yeah.
1: And just abstract, like that we don't know anything about. Yeah. this like maybe the the most abstract Buffy villain we've seen so far that it's
2: hmm.
1: purely conceptual and it seems to me like it's nothing Buffy can fight or you know yeah, I mean like, we can talk about that a little bit more later but you know yeah. it, it's all it's all like this creature seems to be one totally of Idea and the mind and persuasion and and the spirit, you know, this is not a physical monster. This is Mm
2: -hmm.
1: a spiritual Mm -hmm. or psychological monster. So it would make sense that it would be a a deceiver or one that we can't ever really know that much about.
0: Yeah. Um, So before we go too much into the first and that, though, I do want to just stick with the theme for another minute because... um, so I already, I already mentioned that sort of, I mean, so it's, it's a Christmas episode. It was marketed as a Christmas episode. Clearly there's a very sort of Christmas feel. Um, and, um, Joss Whedon is sort of in that same, where he's talking about the the whole idea of the Christmas miracle. He says, um, you know, the Christian mythos is a power, has a powerful fascination for me and it bleeds into my storytelling, redemption, hope, purpose. These are all important to me. Santa, he throws in there as well. Um, for whatever reason, uh, whether I believe in an afterlife or or some universal structure or not, um, and and so he, he's and he sort of talks about you know he's okay with sort of the, a Christian interpretation of this, um, although he thinks that you can interpret it other ways and 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 in other things. But um, interestingly, I guess just sort of on those ideas, then you know, given that there do seem to be some explicitly, you know it i I like what they do with like the idea and the theme of like forgiveness, but it's it's really self forgiveness mm. right it's it's angel coming to grips with what he's done yeah um and 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 what I love is how um there is that like i mean he does need to forgive himself, but how in those in those moments where he and Buffy are sort of arguing and and then Physically fighting. yeah. um, You know, Buffy says, look, I know what you did because you did them to me Mm. and I still want you here. And I think I think that's really sort of the the most powerful message uh, between sort of maybe that and the the idea of. You know, it's it's not strength to give up, it's not strength to kill yourself, it's strength to keep fighting and and sort of those two things working together. But it's that it's that you know whole concept of everything you've done um you've done to me and i still want you around yeah. i still i not even want you i still need you around i still have to have you as part of my life because you know this is this is the only way you can really um and and we get the eponymous line you know you have the power to do real good to make amends unless you die. Mm. If you die, then you don't have that power anymore. And all that you ever were was a monster. So anyway, I just, I I like that whole taking that, um, you know, again, that very sort of Christian theme of sacrifice, forgiveness, um, and that, and sort of, um, and not, I don't. So there are interpretations of Buffy that include possibly, her being a Christ figure and not I don't even mean like in relation to this episode but either even yeah. in like other episodes that we haven't gotten to yet but
2: sure
0: um, I'm not trying to say that at all here because I don't think that that's what's going on but I think just on the general theme of forgiveness sacrifice yeah and, and all of that um, and and the whole Christmas motif that we get here I I really like the way that that they do this
1: yeah um, no I I agree and and I think you know it 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 works because this is a christmas episode and it's kind of to me like you're saying like it's not like anyone is particularly a christ figure it's not an allegory of any you know parable or or episode of you know you know biblical history or anything it's more to me, like just an exploration of what is the idea of Christmas, you know, and and mm-hmm. Christmas has become Christmas trees and Santa and you know willows and mm-hmm. not everybody worships Santa. That's like the modern conception of what Christmas means is like get a tree, yeah, yeah. present Santa. <laughs> but this is really getting into pretty heavy theological ideas, and I think with the why you catastrophe is sort of inherently, you know, a. A Christian idea or at least it aligns with a Christian worldview is that it is that undeserving nature and I think that's something that Angel and a lot of people might find it difficult to grasp that redemption and salvation from this point of view aren't deserved they're not done because you are good and you earned them that the whole mm-hmm. nature of this is that yeah I know what you did and guess what I love you and forgive you anyway. And it makes no sense. And it's not logical. It's not something which is explainable, but it's something which is done out of love. you know. And that's kind of the whole Christian idea of redemption to begin with. Mm-hmm. So this whole episode sort of culminates in that. It's Angel kind of realizing it's not, he says it's not the vampire in me that needs killing, it's the man. That he's kind of recognizing his own original sin or culpability you know that it's not just the fact that i'm a monster it's that i've i've been bad from day one you know and and right and um and he kind of decides you know what i don't actually deserve saving um and buffy says yeah well i want to anyway you know and the snow kind of confirms that you know that it's not about what you've earned or what you deserve it's it's you're being given this as a gift it's, and it's right. your job to receive it and then to go forth and do good things with right. it. You know, and it's sort what of, you do from here on out. Yeah, yeah, so it's kind of, to me, the whole, you know, Christian message in a little packaged episode for Christmas. You know, whether Joss intended that or not, I think, you know, intentionally or not, he sort of wrote it that way, you know, and or it came out of him that way, you know. Yeah. Well, um, yeah,
0: and, and I don't think I think we are meant to see him as having explored that. I mean, I think that's yeah. what he's saying is that the ideas of redemption and hope and purpose and and all of those sorts of things are interesting to him, whether he believes it or not.
2: And I think yeah, that's well,
0: and I
1: think whether he com- believes it or not, he seems to have at least some intuitive understanding of it. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, that it, it's not kind of just the the Santa and Christmas and Christmas tree version of Christmas. It's actually a pretty sophisticated. Look mm-hmm. at what redemption means. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, so, um, good just on him. A, cou- a, a couple more minor points before we sort of get into the characters and the and the first evil and all that. Um, at the very end, and it's you. I don't know. You may have noted it or not. There's the sort of um, at the snow falls, and then you cut away, and you see like all the different. You know, like. Giles looking out the window and Joyce and Faith come into the door and Oz and Willow and then Xander. <laughs> the Xander was my um,
1: favorite. I knew that was coming. As soon as they started going <laughs> through all the characters I was like, "Oh, Xander's going to be sleeping outside." Yeah,
0: yeah, right, yeah. That made me um, happy. And then you get this shot of like the sky with the snow falling and then it sort of pans down and you get um like a couple of like neon signs and stuff and you get like the movie marquee.
2: Yeah.
0: Um very interestingly apparently when this aired that was like a big thing people were like oh what what is cuz one of the movies so one of the movies is abilene
2: mm.
0: which is a movie that starred um Ernest Borgnine and actually didn't come out until March 13th 1999 which is 3 months after this episode aired this episode aired uh December 15th 1998 um okay. but it you know would have been in production obviously and whatever so I I'm assuming that that's why it was on the board. Yeah. Um, that movie actually got renamed from Abilene to Shadows of the Past, which is an interesting change mm. given sort of the themes of this episode yeah. and the flashbacks and the, the seeing the people that he died and on. But anyway, I don't yeah. necessarily think that even was meant. Um. But then the other movie is titled Pray for Something and we don't see the rest of it. And apparently that was like a huge source of speculation or whatever, whatever. And Joss has pretty much just come out and said, no, that was just, those were just movies on a marquee. Like I, yeah. it was completely unintentional, but um, it was
1: incidental. Yeah. Right. But
0: nobody knows what that movie really is. Uh com has, has a couple of suggestions. Um There was a movie in 1985 called pray for death, which doesn't make sense either from a, temporal or a thematic perspective right, to me right. um and then um they also suggest uh a french film pour, pour nous, which is in my french pronunciation i'm sure is horrible um, <laughs> but it's translated to pray for us uh-huh. but that came out in 1994 which still doesn't seem quite time-wise although i guess thematically that might fit a little bit better so yeah Nobody really knows. I'm not sure how important that really is, but I just thought I'd note that it apparently is somewhat of a source of speculation. And, and there's um, there's actually a paper in the Slade's Journal that sort of takes a in-depth look at that. That not the whole paper isn't about that, but it's it's just kind of interesting that that became one of these things that sort of fans and and critics focused on for this episode.
1: Yeah, yeah. As, as well, happens yeah, from no, time you kind time. of. After all of these thematic things, then to see the word pray or prayer sort of, you know, big on the screen, I can understand why people would focus on that and want to sort of tie that in.
0: Um, Yeah, yeah. But there's, I don't, I don't, I did my own sort of minimal IMDB research and couldn't come up with. Nothing conclusive, yeah. Yeah, I couldn't come up with a better suggestion, at least not one that was, um, you know out in theaters around that time so who knows Mm. but anyway um let's move on so uh i think we were going to talk about the first and sort of that before we went oh no we're going to talk about angel um Uh, so
1: well i mean we can we can redo our own schedule but
2: uh no no no. (laughs)
0: let's start with angel let's start with angel because i think Well, I'll just read one more little thing. I I actually took quite a few notes about like from Whedon and stuff. And, and one thing that I didn't want to just again from Whedon, although this is different from the last thing I just read, um, he, he he says, um, redemption has become one of the most important themes in my work. Um, and it really did start with angel. I would say probably the episode Amends, um, but even the character itself. And then he kind of talks a little bit about the spinoff and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, but then he goes on to say it was about addiction and how you get through that and come out the other side and how you redeem yourself from a terrible life. I'm not sure why it is that redemption is so fascinating to me. I think mistakes I've made in my own life have plagued me, but they're pretty boring. <laughs> um, I'm pretty much an average guy, yet I have an enormous burden of guilt. Ultimately, the concept of someone who needed to be redeemed is more interesting to me. Um, just talking like from a character perspective, um, I think it does make the character more textured. Uh, than one who doesn't need that redemption. So just again, we get this sort of this fascination of, of the need for redemption and sort of going along with that, the forgiveness, the, the, um, and, and, and the work to overcome the things that you've done in the past, yeah. which maybe you never can really do, but, but it's, you know, it's sort of the, the, the struggle is worthy in and of itself idea, I think. Yeah. But, um,
1: yeah, I think that's the sort of the conclusion uh, but, at the end is that but I, yeah you know, I, and everyone you know, Angel sort of wants to put himself in a super awful category that deserves sort of, yeah. you know all sorts of retribution right. and maybe he has done worse things than other people but I think Buffy's point you know, at the end is is a good one that, you know, everyone is weak, everyone is flawed everyone mm-hmm. needs this redemption you know, that you're certainly not the first or the last to, you know, and that literally everybody else is to some extent in that same boat. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's no use sort of self-pitying, you know, about how much worse you are than anyone else when really this is everybody's struggle. Um, And, you know, I guess it's kind of learning that that's a part of life or part of being human, you know.
0: Yeah. Um yeah, uh, I was just going to say it's um it's really something of a form of egotism, right? To say sure. yeah. I'm so much worse than everyone else that I deserve to die and I'm right. irredeemable and <laughs> yeah. Y- you know, I'm so bad that I'm
1: special. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> well, and that's kind um,
1: of why uh despair and suicide were sort of theological sins anyway, weren't they? I mean, like they used to be punishable sins that if you if you committed suicide you know in in medieval times you were denied a christian burial like that that was a sin and it is mm-hmm. kind of for that idea that uh of thinking you know better you know that i've deemed myself you know unworthy of continuing and you know that it, it's mm-hmm. you're sort of judged for giving up the fight and for putting yourself as your own executioner and kind of superseding your own, uh, your own, it's like, that's kind of not your call really. Um,
0: Well, and, and I don't know, I don't know if it's still part of like the Catholic doctrine or whatever, but I mean, I, I'm I'm thinking of like um, the movie, what dreams may come, right. Isn't that sort of the central conceit of that? Is that the wife committed suicide? She kind of is in,
1: is in a version of hell for, suicides yeah mm-hmm. which yeah, i
2: yeah.
1: think you know i don't know how to what extent that's enforced in the catholic church but i think that's still part of their doctrine is that that's a sin um
0: right right you know and and an unforgivable one yeah because you've killed yourself right <laughs> like right as you're committing the act no, no coming back from that yeah <laughs> you're not um, no right. um
1: right you know and and i guess i mean that's to what extent that's good theology, I think, is up for debate. But the idea, I think, is
2: is <laughs>
1: you know it's a I think it's an interesting point that that you don't necessarily get brownie points for you know
2: yeah. you
1: know uh, taking your own life that you are actually that that's actually seen as a negative a bad thing of that that's yeah. you know that's a failure not um not a mm-hmm. triumph. So, yep, yep. you know, well, whereas and... whereas Angel wants to see that as a noble self-sacrifice, I think. Right, right. You know, that I'm, oh, yeah. I'm look at all the well, people I'm protecting. Look at all the, the revenge which I'm taking out on myself. And he almost sees that as kind of a redemption. That the world will be better off if I'm not in it. Um, mm. You know, which, you know, is sort of understandable from his point of view. But also, I think pretty much everybody would agree with buffy that that's actually a cop out you know <laughs> you can kind of right, understand right. how he feels but it's actually shirking responsibility not accepting yeah. it
0: well and sort of the first clue that angel should have had is the fact that the first is then leaving him alone when he decides that the first is like well that's not part of the plan but
2: oh okay yeah.
0: i can i can deal with that yeah. like if the first is like if if your object is to not do what the first wants you to do, which seems yeah. to be sort of at least part of his motivation. It's like, yeah. well, I, you know, I I'm not going to kill Buffy, so I'll kill myself yeah. so that I don't kill Buffy. And the first is like, okay, yeah, that's that's good too. Right, that's a clue. It's like maybe <laughs> maybe you need to reassess. Maybe there's yeah. a different way to right, um, you know, be be you know trying to fight against the first then then going along with something else right. that's perfectly acceptable.
1: Right, right. Like you um, want you want the first to call your bluff. You don't want them to just say, "All right, go ahead." You know, no yeah. no big deal. Um
0: Yeah. No. Uh,
2: and that
1: is kind of a clue that uh the, the first doesn't necessarily have any grand plans for him coming back. Like maybe it did bring him back and maybe it did want him to kill Buffy and do all these things, but it kind of doesn't care what he does. Like, him killing himself doesn't really affect anything all that much. I mean, like, it's not like it needs Angel to achieve some sort of evil purpose. It's Mm. just causing misery, and almost in a kind of petty way, you know? It just really wants to torture Angel until Angel kills himself,
0: really. Yeah, and, I mean, we don't... It's hard to say after... You know, one episode. If, yeah, yeah, if there is a, a bigger plan or not, but yeah, no, I think you're right. Like, it does seem to be a little bit more on the chaotic side than yeah. the, um, you know, master plan side. <laughs> but who knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll perhaps see at some point. Um, but I think as far as like angel, angel and that goes. I mean, it's you know, you can just sort of see all of the. What I found really interesting is, you know, to your point earlier, that the first there is no corporeal essence to the first. It's all psychic energy or whatever you want to call that. You know, it's it's which is what Angel specialized in. Mm -hmm. Right. It was the torture. I mean, he did physical torture, too, of course, but it Mm -hmm. was, you know, we've seen that he's an expert at the psychological torture. Mm, yeah. And that's where he's getting hammered. Right. Right. You know, it. it's, it's that, um, and we even see it here. Like he doesn't just, um, you know, in the, in the flashbacks, right. It's, he doesn't just kill the people, um, you know, Daniel in the first flashback. It's no, he took all his money. He put him in debt. He's, he's torturing him. And now he's saying, I'm going to kill you to, get that debt you know yeah. it's like he didn't just find him in a dark alley and kill him yeah. he sat down apparently and gambled with him for long enough time to take everything he had first yeah um, which yeah. is very similar to what he did with drew you know yeah. sort of on a mental level he did to this guy financially yeah <laughs> um and and um with margaret was, the, um, the, the maid under the stairwell there i noticed you that
1: know, uh He says to her, go on, cry out, make a scene. And then the first says the same thing to him later. Like like literally the same words. Go on, cry out, make a scene. Like when he says like, oh God, like as if he's crying out or about to actually pray or something. Or just like exclaiming it. It Mm -hmm. taunts him with those same words. So yeah, it's that thing of its mode of revenge is to kind of visit you with whatever your own wrongdoing was you know you yeah. get to you get to reap what you've sowed kind of thing
2: um,
0: yeah and and right and even the very fact that the first is visiting him in the guise of his victim yeah, yeah, is yeah. is itself a form of psychological torture yeah so um yeah just some uh, a very interesting sort of way there again given that angel's sort of specialty was to drive people a little bit nuts right we talked about how um in in other episodes where we sort of seen the flashbacks and 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 that sort of thing you know how that was sort of his staple he's not the spike character who's just sort of in it for the fun he's he's got the long game he got he had you know he's the one who'll sort of get under the skin and and do that Mm. so yeah we see that happening to him here and it seems to be the perfect or or almost nearly the perfect sort of thing except that buffy steps in hmm yeah
1: um, buffy in the of, miraculous snow
0: buffy in the snow right <laughs> right um, yeah so what else what else with angel so i i don't know I don't know if you want to do you have anything like sort of for the dreams or the flashbacks there? Any um, thoughts Well, or I mean, we'll I,
1: I, I like that twist with the dream where suddenly she's in there. That was a good, mm-hmm. creepy sort of moment. And we've seen, I like this kind of continued idea that Buffy's dreams are significant, that we've seen her dreams, mm-hmm. you know, be sort of uh, intuitive before and everything. So here you kind of get them entering into each other's dreams, which is kind mm-hmm. of an interesting idea. Um, And I think, I mean, I just liked, I liked the way they portrayed, they they found a really good kind of balance between portraying angels, both his kind of temptations and also his sort of horror at his own temptations. Like, I think they struck a nice balance with that and the way they kind of made it slightly violent slightly sexual and you're not quite sure where the line is and his own right. wanting those things and also being you know terrified of the, of wanting them at the same time and that all being very confused I think they did a good job of that they kind of that's a that would that's a hard thing to portray I think is to make temptation not seem to kind of easy or trite, like to say, oh, someone's tempted mm-hmm. to do something. You know, it's hard to kind of get in someone else's head like that. You know, so I think they did a good job where you could understand where angel's coming from, um, and not kind of write him off just as the villain, but also, um, you know, not you also felt like you could see the danger in those moments, that you still can't quite trust him, you know. Because, again, he's in her bedroom and she's yes. still not changing her locks. And, um, you know, like we've had we've been here before. So you kind of want her to help him, but you kind of want her to kick him out, too.
0: Mm, so yeah.
1: I think they did a good job of kind of portraying that as like a complicated thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so Yeah, yeah.
0: no, the, the 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 sort of the tension between the violence and the sexual and all of that yeah i mean that's it's very power and even the you know even just the words they use you know take her we'll take what take her life take her right in a right you know rape her like what are you saying yeah both you know maybe but it's it's a very um yeah yeah no i think they they did a good job with the tension there and the um the different portrayals that that just from an sort of actor level uh, David Boreanaz, you know, playing and not that we have necessarily said he, he, I don't know that we've, we've talked specifically about his acting before, but we see like several different sides of him in this episode, mm-hmm. you know, like um more so I think even than in other flashbacks, um, Yeah, you, you know, just kind of, being able to pull off all of those different characteristics of you know him in the old days as a vampire as Angelus and then you know obviously the sort of the tormented now but then even like the very brief moments where we get of him carousing <laughs> um you know as a uh before he became a vampire and that kind of thing which we Yeah didn't, yeah. I you know I guess we saw cuz we saw right we saw the moment where he gets turned
2: you yes, know leading yes. up
0: to that and we saw him sort of stumbling out of a a, a pub at mm-hmm. at that point but we didn't ever really see him you know before that so like just added confirmation that yeah he was always in a pub and getting yeah. drunk yeah, you know yeah. like and that he wasn't really much of a human being right even before right he became a vampire yeah
1: i, I liked that one um uh, I have the quote here, it wasn't me, a demon isn't a man, I was a man once, and what a man you were, like,
2: and he's yeah, like, yeah. oh,
1: that whole line of argument just came crashing down around him, you know, that yeah,
2: yeah.
1: his defense, well, um, you know, and that's sort of, you know, to say to say that isn't to say that, you know, he wasn't, I mean, I think he still has a point, yes, he was a human being, and that's still worthy, even if he was kind of a lousy human being but um, you know you kind of realize in that moment he doesn't actually have any he can't point to what kind of a good man he used to be before this you know external evil came and, and possessed and corrupted him it's like actually uh, he's always been you know on the irredeemable side of things yeah. so he's sort of having to face
0: that I think well and and I think and man we've talked a long time already so we need to actually talk about other stuff too but um I mean this episode is so focused on angel I don't think it's a bad thing but um the 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 quote there that the first as Jenny says uh cruelty is the only thing you ever had a true talent for and and I think there's that idea that he actually did kind of find himself when he became a vampire like you you know you talk about that that sort of the liminal moment of of becoming a man so to speak or you know becoming an adult as it were and and that kind of his becoming a vampire kind of did that and it's and we saw that when he was when his soul was restored is when he spent 90 years being tortured by his soul you know like Mm -hmm. Because of the things that he did and, and it was Whistler who kind of gave him a purpose, but now he still is tortured. Like he's, he's apparently reverted to that pre Whistler state of why am I here? Because he came and he brought a Catholic about, but that was all the fact that he was Angelus. Like, it was yeah. Buffy who stopped a Catholic. So, like, supposedly the thing that Whistler even helped him to become um, wasn't even true. Like, he, yeah, it would have been better had he not been there for that. So, like, right. so this is a crisis of personality, a crisis of personhood, yeah. so to speak. Um, You know, yeah. what, what is his purpose here? And I think that's where, you know, that's where the interesting part lies is that, you know how how does he come to grips with the fact that he wasn't any good before, and and he did kind of excel at being right, a, right, and a how, murderous. You know, yeah. Uh,
1: and how can he do what Buffy says and do real good if what he's good at is not good? You know, mm-hmm. if the thing that if he's kind of weak as a good guy and strong as a bad guy, he's gonna have to learn how to. Deal with that. You know, like, what can, what good can he contribute? Um, and I think, mm-hmm. I think he, he can, and Buffy seems to think he can, but that's the crisis is,
0: um, right.
1: like you say, oh, yeah. like, and you, you know.
0: Just because he's having a crisis doesn't mean we need to buy into his crisis. Yeah, no, I mean exactly. That, and, and Buffy certainly doesn't, and, and yeah. whatever, but yeah. No. I think. And actually, I, I th- think
1: that's kind of an interesting parallel to Buffy because even though Buffy doesn't excel at cruelty um we have had mentions about that about her only excelling at fighting and sort of like she's she's thought that about herself like i think she said that in in the alternate universe in uh with with cordy what was it the wish where um you know mm -hmm. she said like uh i mean now that was an alternate universe but still i mean you get that idea that like This is what I, this is all I'm good at is, you know, slaying. And I think she said that a couple times in the primary universe too. Um, Mm -hmm. So not so much cruelty, but even with her, I think both of them have this vision of themselves as good for nothing beyond, you know, unpleasant, violent things, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, no, I think you're right. I mean, we've definitely seen sort of the the question of is there a real difference between being a slayer and a killer? Right. And if so, what is that? Where is that line? Yeah. Um, and I think even like in conversation with like Faith, you know, we've sort of had that question come up too. So yeah, yeah I think that's all that's all true. So definitely an interesting point. Um, anything else sort of between Buffy and and Angel? Or, or Angel and the other characters, um, before we sort of (laughs) move on,
1: we move on. Um, well, (laughs) let's 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 mention Giles really quick. Um, okay, because that his stuff is mostly to do with Angel. Um, Mm. so you know, it, it was kind of interesting to have Jenny there, I didn't expect to see her. Um, good. I'm glad you, I mean, because
0: obviously it's a, it's it's not very sad,
1: but no, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Um, so, and kind of, she's only with Giles for that brief moment, but there's that brief moment where she's there and he can't see her, you know, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. Um, and I, I did like his whole, uh, I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry. Coming from you, that phrase strikes me as rather funny. I need help. And the funny just keeps on coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. I like yeah, Giles, yeah. and and good for Giles, for for I mean, I hope he changed the locks as soon as Angel left, you know, because uh, otherwise inviting him in is kind of pointless. But I like that he at least is at the ready with his crossbow. That Giles is sort of being
0: that ever-present not, crossbow.
1: Not unreasonable, like he's helping yeah. him. He's not killing him on sight he's not you know but he's being pretty practical you know that this isn't someone he trusts and you know he's probably doing the right thing to keep an eye on him so
0: mm-hmm. i like that you notice he doesn't keep the crossbow in his hand very long no he doesn't and, which and actually interesting it's interesting but i think given so obviously the, the theme of redemption and forgiveness and all of that very explicit between Buffy and, and Angel mm. more tacit, I think between Giles and Angel. Okay. Because he does invite him in. Yeah. He, 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 he knows intellectually, regardless of how emotionally he might accept it. He knows that angel has his soul back. Yeah. He sees that angels in torture, and being the good guy that he is, he still helps them. Mm. And when Buffy goes and says, "Angels in trouble," what does Giles says? I know. I'm already looking into it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's it's that he can't just help being the supportive yeah. guy that he is. And, and no, and that's why and we love knowing him. Yeah. And knowing ultimately that he's working on the side of good as begrudging and as I'm sure traumatic as it might even be for him. Um, And to a lesser extent, even Xander, although sort of Xander, you still get the feeling of, I had nothing better to do. (laughs) Yeah.
1: um, But I kind of, I kind of took that in a good light with Xander. Yeah, It was a moment of, of support for Buffy, you know,
0: Support for Buffy.
1: Support for Buffy.
0: Right. Which
1: I would expect nothing less. I mean, I certainly don't no, expect no. Xander to suddenly, you know, be a huge Angel fan overnight. But I think mm-hmm. that's been the main problem so far with Xander. It's not just his, I mean, partially his irrational, you know, over-the-top hatred for Angel. But, but more so than that, his, um, you know, sort of, uh i don't i don't know what term to use but sort of his refusal of solidarity with buffy mm-hmm. in those moments that his own hatred and vengeance are more important than his loyalty to buffy um mm-hmm. so at least in that moment yeah. you felt like he was there for her you know even even if he, you know if it was left to himself he wouldn't necessarily go out of his way to
0: help angel right right no i, I agree with that but that's why i said to a lesser extent but yes, but i think I agree. you're right i think we can I do agree. we can i think we can see some of the hanukkah spirit <laughs>
2: The hanukkah spirit
0: and uh anyway <laughs> yeah. but yeah so anyway back to John. i didn't mean to sort of go off on the tangent uh
1: either, but... no i mean that's kind of all I had because he's really not in the episode too much. Did you have anything no,
0: else? No, I mean, it was basically that to point point out that that there does seem to be a forgiveness there. Yeah. Um. Not as explicit clearly yes, yes. as as with Buffy and and what well, I mean, we already know Buffy loves Angel again anyway. So I mean, yes. that's not that that's a huge surprise, but like, there's just that it's that sort of the quiet background support that we've come to know and love about Giles. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the fact that he's already, he's already researching the issue and Buffy before apparently Buffy even knows about it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So, um, so good stuff there. Yeah, no, Um, that is good. We've got to talk a little bit more. I think about the bringers. I don't, I know. Okay. This, this might have to be a little bit, extended episode because we have to get to Oz and Willow too, at least. Yeah, I know. But, but I think just a few more things. So you tell me, and I know we've already talked a lot, so maybe we don't have a lot more to say, but um, what, what are your sort of thoughts? What did you notice? What, what do you want to talk about with regard to the first and the bringers?
1: Um, Well, I mean, I think I said a lot of what I had to say about the first, which is kind of that idea that it is, not a physical thing it's not you know it kind of taunts buffy with the fact that it can't be fought and sure enough she doesn't really fight it at least not physically i mean i think she fights it spiritually and emotionally like she wins in the end that angel Mm -hmm. is uh saved it doesn't get the you know that moment of triumph but You know, Buffy can fight. She says she wants something to pummel, so she can pummel. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. She can
1: pummel. She can pummel the bringers, and the bringers. I kind of see it. It's kind of like, the Buffy and Doctor Who are similar in this way that even when the monster is psychological, there still has to be something physical to contend with. You know, so the bringers are there to sort of satisfy, you know, (laughs) the, the the obligatory fight scene of some kind or other. And that's not to say that they're not good monsters. You know, I'm not, you know, calling that into question. But I think, you know, you the, the psychological has this, you know, these physical sort of minions, which mm-hmm. Buffy can pummel and defeat.
0: Yeah. And then, Almost Lovecraftian kind of, Yeah, you know, like yeah. The, the, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No,
1: that kind of cultish, ancient evil sort of right. vibe. But but then the the first just sort of disappears, you know? So it's mm-hmm. not defeated in the end. And, and I think it would be kind of trite if it was, you know, because it certainly, whether or not it is literally evil with a capital E in its most primal form, it certainly presents itself that way, that this mm. is literally the first, there is nothing more ancient or more evil than this, that this is the origin of all evil in the universe is kind of what it wants you yeah. to believe anyway. So yeah. it, it would not quite feel right for Buffy to kick its ass. You know what I mean? Like yeah. like yeah. One, one victory in the fight against evil, you know, that this is mm-hmm. something which isn't defeatable, that this is something which is always going to be part of the world, at least this world and humanity as we know it. Um, And it's, you just get that sense that it's out there and it's sort of potentially lurking behind or moving all these other, you know, monsters and baddies, which are out there, you know? Um, And I mean, I think you've pointed that maybe, maybe we should question what it says about itself so maybe we can't take all that on inference but
0: um, yeah i and and that's the hard part because yeah. even when even when we suspect it might be lying or at least exaggerating we don't have anything else to go on you know yeah. to to go on yeah. so yeah um and, and all you does, can do is
1: all you can do is buffy what buffy does and like you know, kill it with sarcasm. You know, try not yeah. to right, try right. to knock oh, it off guess. its evil. pedestal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, I get it. You're evil. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> what else can you do in the face of ultimate evil? But yeah. like, well, be the, but be completely thing. ridiculous in the face of that.
0: <laughs> yeah. No. 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 I I think that's a good point because so you know we get sort of the braggadocio the the i'm the absolute evil yeah. older than man yeah. older than, even than demons you know mm-hmm. beyond sin beyond death i'm the thing the darkness fears but even darkness isn't tangible so like you're less tangible than darkness like right. what you know it's like what what does that mean like okay so, there, and, and there seems to be this sort of symbiotic relationship between the first evil and the bringers the, in one sense, you know, they worship and I, it seems they're listening to what the first evil wants, but it can't apparently exist or at least be present without the bringers.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Cause like as soon as Buffy breaks them up, I mean, it's there for a couple minutes and then just kind of dissolves. Sure, Like, Right. So their chanting is done. It used up whatever psychic energy that had. And now yeah. where'd it go? I mean, the yeah. bringers, she didn't kill the bringer. So they just sort of ran off. Yeah. Um, and just sort of the, the the creepy look of the bringers yeah. themselves yeah. with their yeah, those, stitched eyes. This, which
1: um, almost kind of resemble like swastikas or something. Like it's something kind of this occultish sort of. Yeah, you know, like a symbol, like a symbol
0: kind of almost thing. Masonic, even in a way, like with yeah. the inverted um, yeah compass and and that and the T square and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um. And and in um the Buffy the Vampire Slayer the Monster Book, uh, Whedon uh, has said uh that he thinks a deformed it, it specifically about the bringers uh that a mm-hmm. deformed human is scarier even than like a big reptile with fangs or some you know yeah. something yeah. less human looking and and it really I mean that's they're probably one of the creepiest. Yeah. And you, know, you see
1: so, you see so little of them. Like seen. Like in right. that, I think that's part and of it too. And it's in a dark place. It's in the darkness. You know, and like when they first are, appear in her dream, it's like a split second, like they're on screen for like two seconds and then it cuts away. So even you get just a glimpse of the, the deformed face, but then you don't even really get to linger on it, you know? So
0: mm-hmm.
1: they are definitely set up as, very,
0: very scary. Right. Um and yeah, and they're so Giles, I believe, is the one who reads that they're the harbingers of death and and that's where we get like the nothing will grow above or beneath them. And, right. Oh how convenient that they're right beneath some trees. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> um I
1: like his thing too about the first she'll speak only in riddles. You know, yada yada yada, they're they're rebels and they'll never ever be any good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Which right. he
1: kinda has the same both of them have this kind of you know, levity in the face of evil, which I like. Like the only response to inconceivable yeah. evil is to make fun of it. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, that kind of makes I, sense. I wanted to talk about and I we it seems like we've talked about more Tolkien in this episode than like anyone else, but I wanted yeah. to bring up um sort of the the idea, which I is maybe not a specifically Tolkienian one. Mm-hmm. Um but the idea of you know evil being the absence of good, which I guess sure. is, is is more like a medieval idea. But yeah. I know it's like kind of a Tolkien. Boethius
1: is that yeah, Boethius,
0: yeah. right? Right, right. And so um you know that idea, and I think what we see here is not quite that concept, but um, you, you know, looking at the first evil as, you know, what's he doing with Angel? He's he's trying to separate him from everyone, and we yeah. and we even talked about like the egotism, like literally trying to separate him from everyone else and yeah. make him feel like he's all alone and can't be redeemed and whatever. And it's this, and it's that separation, which is sort of an exclusion from the good things, right? Yeah. It's, you know, he runs into Buffy, but like, he wants to be alone. He wants to like, he, he doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have anyone really looking after him anymore. Um, And the one person who was, doesn't want, can't be near him anymore. You know what I mean? So like yeah. it's, he's already like separated and now it's this idea that he needs to separate himself even more. I think that, that is sort of, you know, again, it's that the first evil is, is sort of working the mojo, you know, <laughs> psychically, yeah. you know, the evil mojo <laughs> to, to really, uh, you know, really separate him from any good impulse that he might have. Um Yeah. But that's that's sort of what I thought of was that that whole evil is the absence of good and and part of that is being secluded from things that are good mm-hmm. that that might turn someone evil yeah. <laughs> or or set them on a path that could potentially lead them towards evil anyway. Um that's uh yeah that seems to be in this particular case anyway what what the uh the first is doing.
1: Yeah. No, I think that makes sense.
0: So um anything else about the first the bringers
1: um i don't think so did you have anything
0: nope i think that's all i had at this point so all right before we talk about dr who we have to talk about willow yes yes we
1: do um Well, and Willow sums it up. Forgiveness is a pretty big theme with me this year. Um,
2: It's
0: pretty big theme (laughs) with everybody, yeah. Seems to be going Going around.
1: around. (laughs) Um, So, uh, there's probably a bunch of things to say, but the biggest thing that I kind of noticed about them this episode, um, which I really, really like, is the echo. um, You know, Willow wants to you know, she finally gets kind of a hesitant forgiveness or at least willingness to try from Oz. And now she wants to go all out and prove to him that, you know, how she feels, you know, you don't have anything to worry about, you're the most important, all these things. And then, you know, so you get her kind of, <laughs> she's turning on the berry White, she's getting dressed <laughs> up, you know, and then... You um, have the
0: berry working for you. you. You have the
1: berry working for you. Um, and I love the echo between her sort of offering herself and him saying no and uh, how that calls back to her wanting to kiss him and him saying no
2: mm-hmm.
1: back when they were first getting together you know right, and it was right, the for same, different reasons for different reasons, but still then there was an element of Xander involved, you know that there was an element of because then Oz had the sense that, she really would rather be kissing somebody else. Um, and he right. kind of wanted to wait until she really wanted it to be him. Right, and right. again, here now, she doesn't... She's not... It's not quite the same thing. She's not doing it... I think she general, she genuinely does want to make it up to Oz, but there's the sense of her trying too hard to Going prove out, something right. to herself or to him, and him saying no, we're not ready or I'm not ready or whatever. So, and his kind of maturity in that, I really like. Um, and that's just a nice little parallel that this tends, this seems to be the way their relationship goes, that Willow gets, um, caught up in whatever and then goes a little too far trying to prove herself or make it up. And Oz is there to sort of say, wait a minute, slow down this is you know this isn't the time and we're not there yet you know so kind of an interesting little I just think that's kind of a nice little parallel in the relationship and it just makes me like Oz all the more
0: (laughs) sure sure well even I mean even the fact that yeah the the scene where they're in the uh, the science room or wherever where you know he's he's telling her you know I miss you this is what I know I don't I don't know you know, if anything will ever be between you, you know, with you and Xander again, that you guys have been friends so long. I don't know that. Yeah. What I do know is how I feel. Yeah. And I feel like I want you to be with me. So yeah, let's give it a shot. I like that. He mm-hmm. says, let's give it a shot. Not, not even, you know, it's not even a, it's not a sure thing. It's yeah. let's try again. Yeah. There's it's not so bad that we can't, yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and too for Oz I think the episodes we've had which are really Oz heavy have always been these ones where it talks about um you know like human or even male impulses and and mm. and we've talked about how Oz seems on the surface to be this sort of most controlled and cool and I think not and again we've established that Oz has the same You know impulses as everyone else, but still we're getting contrast him to pretty much everyone else. He is the most, in a way, kind of morally upright character. That um, you know, think about um, Angel, who's having crazy impulse control in this episode, (laughs) and his. You know, we talked about like his desire versus his own ambivalence about his own desires mm. um, Xander who's always been one to act on impulse and feeling you know rather than sure. waiting for thought and you get Spike too um, who you know pretty much is about doing what is right in the moment and then against all of those you have Oz mm. who might want certain things and might have impulses but who seems to be contrasting to his werewolf nature the most controlled, the most thoughtful and the most about not following your immediate impulse but by like actually, you know everything is so carefully considered with him, which is kind of I like the way that his own character is contrasted with his own werewolf side, but then also he's contrasted with a lot of the other characters as Mm. well. It's kind of a neat little dualism there. Mm.
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Cordy and Xander don't, um, no,
1: no, uh, no. Cordy's reverted to form. She seems to be kind of in season one mode of, you know, snark, you know, so, Hey, (laughs) Xander deserves it. You know, I, I can't really fault her for that. (laughs)
0: Yeah, well, and Willow seems Willow ready feels to forgive her. Way. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah, she can do what she wants, and mm-hmm. and yeah, we've seen that in a couple episodes now, so that's not a huge surprise. But yeah. um, it, it's funny that you're still getting kind of the glimpses between them, like, you know, it's the it's the I was hurt by you, and I want you to know that I'm hurt by you and, but they're still kind of paying attention to each other. You know what I mean? It's like, like they're still, they still notice when the other one's in the room and whatever. It's just kind of a, it's kind of a weird, different sort of thing.
1: Yeah. Or, or, or I have to make sure, you know, that I have cool plans for vacation and they don't include you and look at like, like there's still that element of wanting to make each other a little bit jealous or, you know, Mm um,
0: yeah. So, anyway, all right. Well, good, good episode. Yeah. What's when, 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 your, yeah. Very
1: good.
2: Yeah. I
0: so, like it. Well, good. Enjoy it because you don't get any more Christmas <laughs> ones. <laughs> and no. on that note, the fires of Pompeii.
1: <laughs> on that note, which has <laughs> nothing to do with the next note.
0: You <laughs> like my segue? Yeah. Um, I like it. So, I think, yeah, we need to start talking about the doctor here okay. and i think um just like we talked sort of around the uh final scenes there of buffy you know we're gonna... I,
1: I have to interrupt you for a second because i don't know that these episodes have a lot to do they're, they're not very paralleled in the story or thematically what happens but they are kind of paralleled in tone a little bit that you kind of have this Well, maybe Doctor Who has a sharper switch from sort of comedy at the beginning to sort of, you know, drama or tragedy at the end. Buffy's a little more gentle in its slope, but they both end with these big emotional, Mm -hmm. you know, climaxes. So as I was watching them, it was like, my goodness, I don't think we've had two episodes where at the end, everybody is like weeping and crying and it's so sad and like all these like i'm like distraught after watching them both but
0: anyway yeah Yeah. um no you're right and actually that just reminded me that i completely forgot to mention that um whedon has actually said that the scene with buffy and angel sort of on that overlook and the fight that they have the verbal fight as well as the physical altercation um he says at the time i don't remember when it was that it it's and and fairly recently like within the last few years um it's one of the best things that he feels he's ever written yeah, that, yeah. that scene so yeah anyway. and i
1: think we can give credit to all four of the leads in these two different shows for the acting in those last final mm-hmm. scenes oh, yeah. i think everybody is pretty on form this week you know and um and i think those climaxes are as powerful because of the writing and the acting um for mm-hmm. sure so mhm
0: Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yep. Now you can um, say what you
1: were
2: actually
0: going to say. Yeah. No. So the end of Doctor Who yeah. and and the you know where we where we get the the pleas from Donna mm. to just save somebody, just save somebody. somebody. I don't. I don't. I don't care, care who it is. It one. has to be <laughs> And and this is after we've already come to find. It. So the I mean from from well right from the beginning the Doctor at least well from the moment when they find out that they're in Pompeii which is yeah. very close to the beginning the doctor says you can't we can't do this this is we can't save people we need to leave yeah this is a fixed point and of course they don't leave tARDIS gets stolen whenever they uh-huh. get involved yeah. but um and then the whole well oh wait a minute i have to make this volcano explode because if i don't yeah. then the entire world yeah. will be yeah. and I, I i like that when he's he's like oh i just needed to hear you say yeah. <laughs> the, <laughs> oh, the entire earth is in danger yeah. now i can get involved that's all i needed um, thank
1: you very much okay all now humanity I can is
0: yeah. at risk now i need yeah. yeah um no but definitely you know you get to that moment of the just save someone the pleading the, the you know at first stana was save everyone we have to save everyone we we need to save everyone and then it's um just sort of that that feeling i guess of like i mean there's some exasperation there i guess there's there's just the the helplessness that she has because she wants to save everyone and and it kind of has played out like the doctor said it would that if she goes around telling people they won't believe her or they'll you know think she's crazy and and or denounce her or whatever or try to
1: sacrifice her or, or try to <laughs> yeah i
0: i guess he didn't specifically no no but you get that you know say of, that but, that's, but kind yeah, of that's the idea
1: is it doesn't go the way she imagines it will
0: right she right she thinks oh i'll be a town crier yeah. and save everyone yeah. and and you know change the course of history and of course that's not at all what happens yeah um so yeah so I I mean it's just a very you know I just keep coming back to that moment of her pleading you just just save someone because that that seems to be it's a very different sensibility with Donna now that we've I mean we've already we've seen her in two other episodes so far so but they both been you know the first one was the sort of the introduction you know oh I'm gonna fight the Ragnos and you happen to be in my way and you know, you tag along for this episode. And then the last one that we saw her in, uh, where we're reintroduced to her, it, it is about that reintroduction and getting to know you again and sort of, uh, you know, finding that comfort level enough to say, you know, you want, do you want to come along with me Mm -hmm. (laughs) for the doctor? But this is the first chance where we really have, I guess, to compare her as a true, actual companion With the others that we've seen so far. So um, just, I think it's, it's very interesting that that's her focus is. Martha was very aware. It seemed, um, you know, when they, you know, when they went into other places of, well, and especially when they, when she went in the past for the first time with Shakespeare, Mm -hmm. right. Um, You know, of, how is this going to affect, you know, should I be wearing these clothes? You know, how are, how are the things that we do here going to affect the future kind of thing? Or how is my being from the future going to affect the past? And like, you know, all of the, like she was very aware of that Donna. She's like, no, we need to save everyone. There's not (laughs) even a question. Like we just need to get in here and, and, and she's very excited. She just, I mean, she's running out. Of course, just going up to vendors and yeah, <laughs> speaking horribly pronounced Latin at them, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah. you know, just just you know, and and that's kind of a funny running gag—the whole Celtic thing. Yeah, um, yeah,
1: it's kind of a funny little.
0: But but uh, the uh, yeah ca-
1: caveat emptor. Oh, you're Celtic. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like like just the personality wise of seeing her really, I mean, she just wants to get in there and, and be part of it, but then also has no qualms about changing anything. Like she's not, yeah. she doesn't seem to. No, I mean, no, you don't get a, that.
1: You don't get that moment from Martha where who's afraid to even walk around in Elizabethan England, for fear that she might step on a butterfly and change the future of the human race. Right, Donna right, right. knows. Donna is explicitly trying to change the future of the human race right, here. Right. And yeah, she doesn't and care no how ethical it all or scientific problem with that. But clearly, yeah. that is not an issue. Uh, life is an issue and mm-hmm. the saving of human life. And I, I kind of like that switch between her saying, everyone here's dead, and the doctor's saying, well, don't tell them that. Like, there's kind of that detached moment, but then, as soon as they're faced with the idea that, no, everyone is going to die tomorrow, she's Mm -hmm. instantly, you know, trying to make that not be. So. Right. Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, I think her... (laughs) Her... uh, When she says that... He's in charge, and he says, TARDIS, Time Lord, yeah. She says, Donna, human, no. That she's not going to take any, like... (laughs) Right, right. This isn't
0: Rose just sort of following his lead. No, no, no. This is,
1: no, this is... Him being a Time Lord is... Means nothing to her. At least, you know, nothing... That doesn't, for her, convey any sort of moral... She might concede that he knows more than her, you know, but... Uh, she's pretty sure of her own sense of right and wrong, and pretty mm-hmm. happy to tell him so. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, no, she's definitely got a stronger opinion, I think. Right.
0: Um, right. And and I don't mean by any of this to obviously imply that like Martha and Rose were not no no concerned about human life in any way. It's just that and
1: it's a personality difference.
0: Yeah. It's just it's just very much. Uh, yeah they they would seem to have deferred at least in the beginning for both of them yeah they would have seemed to uh which I think is really the only thing we can compare at this point with the yeah. um no you know, this they is would very, have sort of this is very listened quick. to the doctor yeah. and and relied on him to be the one to think of things and do things and whatever and I think that that's why it it comes as such a empathetic moment mm. you know at the end when she is just saying just please save someone yeah it's it's because you know that she has that impulse and she hasn't she can't do anything about no. it like she's even gotten to that point of uh you know like the and again going back to the realization of it's either pompeii or the ERP. Like, mm. that's our option there is no third option. there is no saving everyone
2: yeah
0: the options are Pompeii or the earth yeah. one of them gets destroyed yeah and and what a horrible utilitarian yeah. choice to have to make yeah. and 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 we get the you know the the premonition from evelina uh, of that yeah but um right yeah and, no and just she, just her and she, sorry I,
1: well, I was just gonna she makes that choice with him that you know, even right. she in that moment realizes this is a one or the other position. And she uh, deliberately doesn't stand and watch him push the button. She does it with him. She's, you know, okay, right, I right. understand now why this has to be. And I'm going to be with you in that moment. But she that doesn't mean that he's off the hook you're the doctor, you save people. And it mm-hmm. doesn't matter if you just push the button, get back in there and save somebody, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I think you're right that in she is helpless, and so it has to be a plea at the end. Um, you know, she, yeah, that's... She, the command goes out of her voice, and it just is about her begging him, please just save somebody.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And I just
1: um... love, you know...
0: And to go and there's also oh sorry, go ahead, no, sorry, I, I was just gonna say there's also that one little moment where she tries to get the little boy, yeah, to go with her, It's like like what what is she gonna she's gonna save the little boy, okay,, right. but then, like the mother comes right. and snatches him away, right. but, like right. she can't even save like this little This little kid. boy,
1: and actually, um, um, it's funny that the doctor kind of said, if you try to say these things, no one will believe you, um, and then. And the second time I watched it, and I've seen it more times besides, um, it suddenly struck me as she's sort of running around with the ash falling, and she's screaming that people should run for the hills and nobody's listening to her. She's to go kind of to classical, you know, stories. She's sort of Cassandra Cassandra in that moment. Not Cassandra the skin, but like, you know, Cassandra who was cursed to tell the truth and to never be believed. And that's kind of with all, in this episode with soothsayers and fortune tellers mm-hmm. and everything that kind of fits thematically that she, Donna is sort of cursed to tell the truth and yeah. not be believed by the people. So, mm-hmm. um, yep. Uh, it's terrible. It's very sad. Um, and well, I mean, I feel like we kind of actually talked more about Donna in the beginning than we did about know, the doctor. I
0: know we, we were going to talk about. I mean, and
1: I have it. more to say. <laughs> I always have more. Well, to let's say.
0: yeah, we can keep talking about Donna. That's that's perfectly most, fine. I, most of I what mean, it, we want was, to talk it was more about, just yeah, that, that that whole end of yeah end of the scene, like it or, or end of um, yeah. you know the episode. I mean the 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 idea. Of her being, you know, the one to to plead to the doctor to save, and and yeah. he does. Yeah. Oh, and that's what I wanted to get to. Was the, well, he does. Yes. And and it's, you know, and and we get that. You know, sometimes I need mm, someone. Yeah. Um, which is the sort of the same the connection there with the puppy episode. Yeah. The The, you know, sometimes you do need someone to yeah. show you the things that you're not seeing in the moment yeah. or or even in the longer term um, because we get the doctor's insistence that Pompeii is a fixed point, even though I think to what your point was earlier before we started recording that um, the point may not be quite as fixed as, as we, all yeah. of that, um, which is interesting. And I want to get to that. Maybe, yeah, maybe I want in to get to bit, that or...
1: soon. Um, th- I want to make another point about the, sometimes I need someone line because it's, you know, obviously calling back to the runaway bride where she said, you know, find someone. Um, sometimes I think you need someone to stop you. Um, mm-hmm. So I like that that has a double meaning because the full sentence is "someone." sometimes you need someone to stop you in the sense of from going too far or from, you know, whatever. So, I mean, Donna does kind of, stop him in this episode, that she stops him from running away. She stops him from not saving somebody. She kind of is that moral compass telling him, you know, helping him gauge what is right and wrong and everything. Um, But also I like just the idea of sometimes I need someone in just the sense of someone to be there, someone in just simple companionship too, Um, which is, I think what the whole point is with, um you know the pressing of the button in that moment that he realizes he has to do this he's doesn't ask Donna to do it with him but she does you know that she mm-hmm. you know understands why he is making that decision which to kind of start to transition over to the doctor i think we're getting the clear you know resonance with the time war in this episode that you kind of get the idea that he's had to make similar choices in the past. Um, But this time, at least he has someone else there making it with him. It's not all on him. Um, Right. So she's there for him in both senses, both to stop him from, you know, from running or from going too far, but also to just be there for him as, you know, uh, just as a friend, I guess.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's the there's the reference. Yeah. Um, to Gallifrey, even explicitly. Uh, um, you know, Donna says, you know, your 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 homeworld.
2: Yeah.
0: And and he just kind of, I forget what he says. Does he say something, or does he just kind of like look at her? Like I, I forget exactly. But that's when what he, the response there uh, is.
1: Yeah, I have the quote here. She says it's not fair. He says no, it's not. And right, then she right, right. says, but your own planet, it burnt. And he kind of pauses, I think. But that's when he says, okay. that's just it. Don't you see, Donna? Can't you understand? If I could go back and save them, then I would. But I can't. Mm-hmm. I can never go back. I just can't. I can't. Um, and I like that repetition of, I can't, I can't, I can't. Because you're not quite sure if he literally means he can't. Or if this is him... Convincing himself that he can't you know the, right, there's a fine line right. between What can he do and what is he? trying to not do like the idea of kind of meddling with fixed points kind of opens up a whole can of worms about What can you change? You know? What should you change if he mm-hmm. can change Pompeii can he change the time war? Is the time war a fixed point? You know, I think that's a open-ended question at this point. Um, Mm. So I kind of like that, that repetition because it, it, I always get the sense there of him trying to, this is an argument he's had internally before, and he's trying to convince Donna, you know, um, you know, that I can't save everybody because I can't save Gallifrey, you know, So what if I could save everybody but Gallifrey? And that's kind of a horrific idea. Um, So I don't know. I think it kind of is an ambiguous sort of line. I like it.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think we can know, but I I agree. It is ambiguous. You, You know, people say I can't do something all the time, but clearly, you know, there are plenty of things people say they can't do that they actually could do sure. um so yeah hard to say we don't know um but yeah no the the
2: the
0: uh, i guess i'm not sure where i want to go so maybe let's keep talking about the whole fixed point idea because okay. it, it it's interesting because there's definitely a paradox going on here yeah with the idea of you know Pompeii versus the world mm. you know which one do we choose um, and the realization that so is it a fixed point point? Mm. and if it is then the doctor well if it's a fixed point then the things would have hap- had to have happened the way that they happened right that's the implication is that you can't a fixed point can't be changed yeah he, so, yeah
1: that's kind of the, the classic thing that he says so, is, is what happens here happens. There's no stopping
0: it. Right. So what but what happens is that the doctor causes it to happen. Right. <laughs> so so is so is he creating the fixed point and doing that or is the point fixed and he always was going to do that. Right. I mean it's it's sort of the classic, you know, uh free will versus predetermination. Yeah. Yeah. Is is he choosing you know, in that moment to act against it being a fixed point, or is he actually causing it to be a fixed point by mm. choosing that? Um, or does he have no real choice in the matter? In which case, what sort of time Lord is he? Um, <laughs> you know, and I don't know. And I don't, I think that's just as ambiguous as, as the, I can't, I can't, mm. I just can't, Yeah, you know, I, I think there's meant to be, you know, uh, uh, you know, that that paradox is there for us to sort of wonder, Um uh, because the other thing, of course, that comes up as a fixed point is Jack. Yes. Uh Which we got at the end of last season. Um, yeah. In their discussion. And I didn't I couldn't remember if, if that was exactly where he referred to being a fixed point. But but I did remember that Jack has something to do with it.
1: Yeah, I and, I found that really interesting because I was trying to remember whether we had heard the term fixed point before. And I think I'm right in saying that we have, but only in relation to Jack. Um, the doctor says you're a fixed point in time and space. You're a fact. That's never meant to happen. Right. Um, so I think that's really interesting because there's some, even though there's there's some significant differences and some significant parallels because, you know, Jack is a person He's not an event, you know, so that's kind of interesting. Jack is specifically, by the doctor, um, pointed out as being something wrong and unnatural, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. a fixed point in the sense that you mean of something that is predestined and always happens would seem to mean something that is natural, you know, beyond... it. It doesn't seem like something that someone like Rose could create in a moment of whatever. Like, it seems like something that is an unstoppable force and natural in the most immovable sense. So that kind of seems like... They almost seem like opposites there. But the one thing that really stuck out to me this time was when I was trying to remember if we'd had any other fixed points before, um, it occurred to me that this episode... um, Well, the the episode starts with, as soon as the Doctor realizes where they are, and he says, it's Volcano Day, and that's a nice callback to Jack again from the Doctor Dances. I don't know if Hmm. you remember, he talks about something about being on Pompeii, but you have to set your alarm for Volcano Day. Um, Right,
0: right. I forgot about that. Another little echo of
1: Jack. Um,
0: So Jack is in the vicinity, apparently.
1: uh, So maybe Jack has been to Pompeii and has encountered – volcano day before um but uh where was i going with that um oh i was going to say that as soon as he realizes what day it is he grabs donna and runs heads for the tardis and i thought as i was watching it i thought that's pretty unprecedented we've never seen the doctor arrive any i mean normally what happens is like in utopia where he says this is really dangerous, we should go, and then smiles at Martha because that's way more fun and they go out and, you know, go exploring. We haven't really seen this where he kind of absolutely, you know, no messing about, we're just going to pick up our stuff and get out of here.
2: And
1: I thought, and then I thought, there's one other time we've seen him do that, and it was with Jack, um, where he, you know, saw Jack running towards the TARDIS, took one look didn't like it took off and they went to the end of the universe trying to shake off jack so that's kind of interesting (laughs) that the only times we've ever seen him really run from anything are from these fixed points you know which Mm. seem to be terrifying to him you know so i don't know whether that's
0: because of his nature
1: of a time lord or i don't i think that's really interesting that those are the only times we've seen that
0: um yeah just at a very amateur and and you know uninformed uh sort of guess maybe it's the very nature of them being fixed points that he can't do anything about it yeah which is what he's scared of it's not even scared of the event per se it's the, the inevitability you know, he, 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 of it. He, he he's scared of his inability to change it. Yeah. Um. He's he. You know the doctor isn't frequently portrayed as someone who is helpless. Yeah. And in these two instances, he is helpless. He yeah. He has no recourse. Yeah. Um. That he can take for either of them. And and um, it's funny because he almost gets the same. Uh, I well, I mean, not funny because lots of people die, <laughs> but but in this in this episode, you almost get a echo of Jack's chastising him for being prejudiced, mm. right? Yeah, you know the the explanation that he gives Jack of why he ran, uh, you know is is the whole fixed point thing. You're wrong. You're not right. And Jack says, "So you're prejudiced, mm-hmm. basically." Yeah, and he's like, I never thought of it that way. And he's once more not thinking of it that way Yeah. that, and you know, sad thing to be is that, Oh wait, not only is it, if it is indeed a fixed point, not only is it a fixed point, but I caused it, Yeah. you know, and that's the, again, there's that sort of, it's a very similar sort of prejudice. He's, he's, he's scared of it when in reality, he's the one who had to make that decision. Yeah. So um, just a very sort of interesting, yeah, parallel between, between those two events. Yeah. I and of... I think
1: his kind of failing in those moments is, is the lack of humanity that, you know, that, you know, he, he sees Jack as wrong and doesn't consider Jack's perspective, you know, and here he, sees the fixed point and wants to leave. And it's Donna who needs to say, we need to think about the people, you know, that the, the companions are there again as the sort of humanizing element, I think. Hmm. Um,
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and
1: the definite irony there that he ends up being the one who, yeah, is primarily responsible for what happens. Um, And good thing they stayed because these aliens would have, Destroyed the whole earth. Presumably.
2: Right. So right.
1: Uh, it ends up being, you know, um, terrible for him, but beneficial for the greater good, I think. Uh, yeah. You know. Yeah.
0: And obviously, and again, terrible for all the people who died. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, good for the uh, marble salesman there um, and his family. <laughs> yeah. the, uh, the, the one thing I did sort of take issue with was the the claim that there's no latin term for a volcano mm, okay I don't, I don't know if you saw i you know what i saw it but i i
1: i was <laughs> oh. driving home and i didn't have time to read it oh yeah you yeah, know no, no, no. It, no there i didn't read the whole thing but i i want you to explain it but i i can kind of guess where it's going but um the thing i kind of felt like that did, no, occur- I, being, that did occur to me. I'm being to tongue me in me cheek, and...
0: let me say. Let me say. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm being, I, I'm not like, I'm not really offended by the fact. No, I mean. There, no, I didn't so... think you were
1: offended. But I think there's a little bit of chronological snobbery in this episode. That there's a little bit of looking down on, on the Romans as, or, you know, that these, that these people as sort of being a little, you know. Ignorant ignorant i guess but then even that's called out in the episode because i like that line from is it evelina when she's sort of in her trance state and she says they're mocking us those two they're 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 laughing at us worried, and and you yeah. kind of realize we've been kind of laughing at them with the doctor and donna you know that we as modern people see ourselves as sort of enlightened and these are superstitious you know morons and so even within the episode they kind of call out so whether i don't know you can explain that email better than me whether they had a word for volcano or not um maybe they were not quite as ignorant as the episode makes them out to be i think
0: yeah no i mean in the very most technical uh explanation it's true there was no word for volcano but um the the, basically i there's a blog post and we can link to it um where where uh, there is a passage in pliny the elder who uh talks about uh mountains that are on fire basically um and interestingly enough pliny the elder um was killed trying to help people who were uh fleeing from Pompeii Mm. um and 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 sort of that episode is recorded by his son Pliny the Younger um and uh so so there is awareness of the fact that volcanoes exist and they call them you know mountains on fire and that sort of thing like there's so no there is no word but there are phrases for volcano right right Um, that suggests that there was an
1: understanding yeah yeah.
0: the, the word volcano um does come from Latin the Vulcan yeah. or or Vulcan, uh and uh, through through sort of the ancient Italian. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. I just. I, <laughs> anyway, um, but I do no. I thought I did think it was funny. The whole the whole Celtic running gag. whenever yeah, yeah. they spoke Latin or or our modern version of what Latin would be. <laughs> um, yeah,
1: yeah. The the mangled modern version of Latin. Yeah.
0: Uh <laughs> that was pretty funny though so but yeah. no i did i did pick up on the on like you said the um you know they're laughing at us with their words and and i didn't quite think of it in 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 those terms but i think you're right i think there is sort of the the idea of you know how stupid can these people be to not realize that there's this mountain rumbling and steaming and yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. all of these things going on and why are they still here um you know i don't know i mean People today, you know, were taken by surprise. Well, not today, but thirty years ago or whatever, by Mount St. Helens yeah. and that sort well, of thing. And, you know? so, doesn't I mean, the doctor like...
1: doesn't the doctor say something about San Francisco? He says like,
2: mm. you know,
1: why why didn't you leave when the, when there was an earthquake seventeen years ago? And he goes, oh, but then again, San Francisco, you know, like yeah. it's yeah. not such a foreign. People still live in Tornado Valley, and you know, like
0: yeah, it, Oklahoma like, City last year, yeah, ton of
1: people who live in. Seemingly, uh, places which are tempting fate a little bit. I think Pompeii isn't the last place to do that.
0: Right. Um, no. And yeah. Yeah. And it comes up every time a hurricane hits, you know, the Southern part of the U S or, yeah, you know, yeah. something like that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, there definitely is, um, sort of this, uh, collective hubris, yeah. <laughs> in, you know, within humans to, to, to build. Yeah. Not just houses, but entire societies in places that yeah. are somewhat dangerous um and,
1: and I, I think yeah. it's i think it's interesting too that it's caecilius who i guess coins the word volcano at the end of the episode um and i think it kind of ties into
0: or at least volcanic you or said, volcanic right? it's, it's very volcanic yes
1: yes vulcan must be enraged yes but um i think it kind of ties into if we can say, you know, a couple things about their family. Um, the idea of them as, you know, perhaps not the sole survivors, but one of the sole surviving, you know, groups of people from this disaster. Um, and and the fact that in, in saving that family, the doctor not only... So the doctor not only becomes responsible for this n- disaster, but also responsible for the word volcano and the concept of it or at least that word maybe not the concept but um that it's the family that he saves which Mm. kind of coins the phrase and presumably passes this you know you get get this idea that they're going to tell the story and pass it on um and I kind of like the idea of you know if we're comparing um Pompeii to the time war you know, the doctor's the sole survivor of that disaster and kind of Mm -hmm. what is the role of the survivor Um, and I like his little speech to Caecilius about um, it's never forgotten time will pass, men will move on and stories will fade but one day Pompeii will be found again in thousands of years and everyone will remember you so the idea that you honor the dead through memory and through Mm -hmm story and words and passing the story on and that's kind of the role of the survivor is to remember and to you know uh spread the word i guess or you know so with the doctor being the only survivor it kind of gives you a little bit of an insight into what his role is too is as this sort of guardian of the memory of gallifrey as well
0: Mm. yeah yeah no that's that's interesting. I, I hadn't put it in that sort of context, but that makes sense. Um, oh, well, let's see. So.
1: What else? Do we have anything else about the doctor um, and Donna?
0: Um, I mean, I think I had all the major points that I wanted to talk about. Mm. Um,
1: you know what? I have something else that I want to bring up, okay. which is... Um, That moment when, um, both of the soothsayers kind of have their, their, you know, moment where they're kind of predicting all sorts of things, some of which we recognize and can kind of, you know, because we recognize some parts of it, we can kind of infer that there's truth in the parts that maybe we don't Mm -hmm. recognize. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of what they're getting at. So, um... Right they because right. they know' cause she knows his name is doctor um man from Gallifrey, Gallifrey your home is lost in fire, um yeah,
0: and Donna, and she's uh, evelina says you're call you call you yourself call noble. yourself
1: noble, yeah, yeah, um uh, so then there's certain things which aren't quite as clear to us, um like the reference to she is returning, which you know,
0: yes, I wrote that down. <laughs> Who is she, and is it Rose?
1: Who is which, the, that? Which, is a million-dollar question.
0: The only the only reason, obviously, that that comes up is because we've, we've seen her, her at the end week. of the yeah. last episode. So it seems episode.
1: a reasonable connection right, right. to make. Um, also, and re-
0: who else would be significant enough to be she without yes. a name? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, yeah, um,
1: um, and then references too to. The, the doctor's name again, we get these occasionally, but even the word doctor is false, your real name is hidden. Right. It right, burns right. in the stars and yada yada yada. So again, like, you know, invoking that sort of nameless, you know, uh that the fact that the doctor is just a a title. It's not actually, you know, what he's called again. And then for Donna, um, you know, all that we can kind of we can we could be wrong, but we can kind of take guesses about what those things mean for the doctor. Um, with Donna, there's something a little more obscure, I think, because um, there's the lines that we know. You call yourself noble, you know she's from London. Okay, we got that. Yeah. But then there's this line: "There's something on your back." Yeah. Um
0: Yeah, I didn't know I didn't have any clue. So what they're talking about there. So And
1: we don't at this point have any clue, so you know, keep that phrase in the back of your mind. I think it's a I think it's scary as hell just the sound of it, like as a sentence, I think is back. a scary sort yeah. of
0: Well, she does kinda like do the like Yeah, but there's something on my back. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um
1: but so, you know. Tuck that away yeah. for safekeeping for the time being.
0: So, so I guess, uh, just in, in general. So do we make anything about the, uh, the birds are flying North and the wind is in the West. Does that have anything to do with anything? Wait, Probably. sorry. I,
1: you broke up for a second. Say the, that again. The
0: birds are in the, the birds are flying North and the wind is in the West. That's <laughs> what know. he opens up with. I don't know. But Sounds kind of the pokey, only thing intimate. I could think of was, uh, yeah. Lots of birds fly North. Um, Lots of planets have a north.
1: Lots of planets have a that, north.
0: That, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah I don't know. Uh, a seed may f- float on the breeze in any direction. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that.
1: <laughs> the other <laughs> one of those jokes that makes me laugh is when he talks about meeting the Sybil and she fancied me and I said it would uh, I said it would never last. And she said, I know. <laughs> makes me smile.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, oh, yeah, that's right. Because, um, well, I know I'd, anything more on, on sort of the the Lucius and, and his prophecies or Well I his whatever, name or, is or a pun general.
1: his name is a pun. That's always fun. Petrus Dextrus, you know that's <laughs> yeah. you know a little joke about his yeah, stone yeah, yeah. arm and everything. I don't know that I have a whole lot more to say about him. Um I do have some things to say about some of the other supporting cast. Um so Kykilius... Well, just... Oh, sorry. No, go ahead.
0: Nope. Nope, go ahead.
1: Okay. Kykilius is played by Peter Capaldi, um, who, uh, if anybody's had (laughs) social media in the last year, you'll know that uh, he has recently been cast as the new Doctor and is filming his uh, first season right now. So... um, this is I think like I, there's been a couple times where there's been like cast members who've been reused but this has got to be the most significant example of that I think mm. in the show um and actually he he also has a pretty significant role in the 3rd series of Torchwood too um like a recurring part I, um
0: I'm assuming as a different character as a different and character and actually
1: so at the time um Russell Davies had, apparently, um, some little internal bit of canon that explained to himself, to satisfy his own fanboyishness, explained Mm -hmm. why there could be two characters with the same face in the same universe, you know. He had his little, you know, in his head, his reason to explain this. Which was never, he never shared that with anybody. He just sort of had that privately. Um, but apparently, according to Stephen Moffat, um, when he cast Peter Capaldi, um, Russell Davies called him to, you know, say, oh, you know, heard the news, congratulations, excellent piece of casting, whatever. And Moffat said, um, so what was your explanation for how there could be two Peter Capaldi's and does it still work? And Russell said, yes. And so apparently they're going to use this in the story of, you know, okay. when we see the new doctor, I don't know how big a deal it'll be, but reference will be made to the fact that there are a number of Peter Capaldi's floating around in the <laughs> doctor <laughs> universe. So I think that's kind of interesting because Moffat's the kind of guy to go back and retcon things like not just use old, story points but actually try to make it seem as if that was the, the idea all along like mm. you know retroactively try to you know, like so me- when I'm imagining that maybe someday when we go back and watch the fires of Pompeii it could be it could seem like foreshadowing of things that haven't happened yet you know and obviously they didn't know they were going to cast him when they wrote this episode but I am not convinced that that doesn't mean that this episode won't be important when we get to the other Capaldi. So, I think it's worth kind of keeping an eye on this episode. Um, You know, I don't know. Sure. You know, I, at this point, have no idea what that will look like, but um, I'll be interested to see what they come up with. Um, And actually, same thing goes for Karen Gillan, who, I don't think they're going to reference this, but... um, one of the sooth- the soothsayer that follows them around the city mm-hmm. um, is Karen Gillan. And she is in some later episodes, too, as a significant character. So we're going to see her again, too. So
0: Right. But presumably that'll be... I mean, you would need less explanation because she's full of makeup. She's pretty here, hard likely. to recognize yeah.
1: as she is. So, yeah, it's not as big yeah. of a deal. Um
0: and honestly, I, I don't think I would have recognized her because I've seen pictures of her character later, although I yeah. don't know really, you know, much about her, um, you know, uh, but I don't think I would have even picked up on the fact that it was the same person. personally. And
1: I don't know that I um, did so much. I feel like maybe I even read that it was her before I even realized it myself because mm-hmm, she is mm-hmm. so heavily in makeup. Um, I
0: do that with people all the time who aren't in makeup. I'm like, oh, oh, wait, that like, person was this other thing? Oh, yeah. It thing? Oh,
1: yeah. yeah. Um, it's a <laughs> so, little more conspicuous when we have, you know, the do- two doctors shaking each other's hand, you know, then it's kind of like you kind of see how they do have to work that into the story a little bit. Um,
0: yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it definitely depends on the level of character that they are. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so as far as this, the whole sisterhood goes, you, you brought up the previous meeting of um, the Doctor and the Sybil, the yeah, Sybil. Uh-huh. I guess it's not right, just Sybil. Right. The Sybil, um, yeah. It's the Sybil. And uh, so my question there is, is is that is that something that has been seen in the doctor who like was that a classic who thing or is it just not important i don't it
1: think just... so i there was sort e- of a throwaway there, there was a classic episode called the romans and so the reference about before you ask that fire had nothing to do with me is to that that he gets involved oh, okay. with nero um and has a little something <laughs> to do with uh gotcha. with, he may have had something to do with rome burning to the yeah. ground so he
0: taught him how to yeah
1: um so that was a reference to it but i don't think there's anything in there about sybil i think that's more just a joke about you know the the prophecies and her knowing things and everything but um but he has been to rome before so
0: okay Yeah. yeah um yeah it seems so and once again i meant to mention this earlier once again we get an episode of oh hey look we're in city Oh no, we're in this other city, you know miles away, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously at a crucial time at an, at an um,
1: opportune time, yeah,
0: um, and the the references to a rift having been open, um if only for a brief time, yeah, uh, yeah,
1: I hadn't thought about that, it's kind of reminiscent of the tor- the Cardiff rift, isn't it, and that's yeah. what gives all of the fortune tellers this gift of prophecy is this right, this right. opening of this kind of window into time very briefly
0: um and then the only other thing i was going to mention was uh so this petrification uh-huh. uh reminded me oddly enough of um the song of ice and fire the gray scale the uh yeah. the sickness yeah. that uh you know um oh what's her name the the the
1: little girl um the
0: girl there but um uh, i don't hey, you've, you you've read you're current in that yeah so right. uh
1: i i'm uh i haven't read i haven't read book five yet
0: oh okay but i well, but it, i've seen I mean, it, I've, I've
1: her, it i've met i've met that yeah, girl it, it, yeah
0: you've met the girl um and it's encountered elsewhere stanis's so, you know, daughter
1: right i can't think of right, her name. right
0: right right yeah i can't think of her name either anyway so not to yeah Um, and I believe she's been introduced in the show as well. Uh,
1: yes, she has. Yeah.
0: Um, very, very, that, it made me think of that. I, I mean, I know the books were written some time ago, so I suppose it could theoretically be somewhat a reference to that, but I don't have any reason to believe why it would be. Um, just, it made me think of it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, a few things with, I mean, I kind of like that. I really like that makeup that the the priestess has. It's so creepy. Mm. Of her just sort of bald stone head. There's something like really scary yeah, right. about that. Um, and another one of those, we've had scenes like that before where it's kind of a pseudo exorcism, you know, where he has to mm. kind of confront the spirit within her, you know, that sort of oh, yeah, possessing yeah, yeah. and guiding her and everything. Um, but I wanted to mention with the, the, the pyroviles um, that um, we—I don't think we mentioned this last week because it was sort of a throwaway line. But with the adipose, um, there's a line about their breeding planet was lost, and uh, the doctor mm-hmm. says, "Lost? How do you lose a planet?" And and the uh, matron or whatever just sort of ignores him. But here again. Um, when the pyrovials are explaining where they came from, um, it, they said they, they fell from the sky and, um, I think they say that their planet was like gone from the heavens or lost or something like that. And the doctor again says something again, like, what do you mean lost? Like how, like, how can it just be lost? So that's, uh something else to notice is that kind of a little repetition there of planets being lost Mm. and, and the doctor Mm. not quite being sure what that
0: means. So yeah. Yeah. Um, And so in, in addition to that, I, uh, this may or may not have anything to do with it. We get um, another reference to the shadow proclamation. Yes. Yes. um, Which is another, he's invoking it. Yeah. So it's, um, what he, he, he's talking to the pyro or whatever name yourself, planet of origin, galactic (laughs) coordinates, species designation, according to the universal ratification of the shadow proclamation. And it's, it's, it's funny because it's, we're right back at the, you know, scaffolding or the stairwell or whatever it is above the nesting consciousness Uh of, you know, this sort of, walking in with this officious tone, you know, of, yeah. of there's a ritual almost going on here. He knows he's confronting something extraterrestrial and he's, you know, following whatever this, uh, uh you know, code or codicil or whatever you want to call it is, mm-hmm. um, to sort of require it to speak, um, which it does, yeah. Uh, so I don't know. Interesting. I, it doesn't give yeah. a whole lot of, inf- you know, information. But again, it's you know, according to the universal ratification of the shadow proclamation, <laughs> what is this shadow proclamation? And the, and especially given the hint before that it's not just a document of some kind that yeah. there seems to be a force behind it mm. or that it is a force in and of itself of some sort um and how does one ratify such a force i don't know um, especially yeah. universally but yeah and and what is universal and, and what what does universal mean in that context does it mean universal as in everybody has ratified it or does it mean this universe. A ratification by the universe yeah. yeah yeah like what what does that mean it, right it's a little ambiguous. Right. Um, could mean both, could be one or the other. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and So, yeah, I, d- I don't have much insight there other than to sort of jump and shout and say, hey, I noticed this. Um, <laughs> and um, give, give me credit. Give you credit.
2: <laughs> give
1: you credit. Um, and then also uh, what he is commanding it to do is to tell him, is its name, you know, and that right. again, we're back to the names knowing the name is having power, so he's has to command it to tell me who you are, um, you know so that kind of reminds me of the season before with uh, the Carrionites and then the the sort of power of words moment at the end of the, of the season too um, that that's sort of the culmination of that exorcism is to find out its name.
0: Yeah.
2: Um,
0: Well, and, and you talk about the, um, yeah, the, the sort of the exorcism, it was the, uh, the fear her episode. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where we get that same sort of thing where it's sort of the exorcist, but it's, it's, again, it's about the name. It's what your name and, and, and before they, are able to really do anything about
1: yeah, it. Yeah. And it's neither right. of them are exorcisms in the sense of like, he doesn't draw anything out of anybody. It's more about finding out what it is that he's dealing with and then learning, okay, how can I, knowing who I'm talking to gives me insight into how to deal with the situation.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I, but they do both have that feel of, yes the sort of the classic horror exorcist yeah. trope of, you know, the power of yourself, Christ compels you, <laughs> Name yourself demon. Yeah. 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 You know what, what is that? Yeah. Um, thing. No, I think, I think that seems intentional. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, I think so too. Given, especially given the number of times that we just sort of cited that it happens. Yeah. um So very, very, yeah. very interesting. Um, I, think that's all i had was there any other sort of final things you want to talk about um
1: let me double check but um i don't think so no actually the only other thing was i this first time i ever noticed this this is the second episode in, the, in a row that we've had a reference to donna with the planet venus if that mean, means anything last week uh, um wilf said something about She's the only planet named for a goddess, and or in the in the solar system anyway. And Donna says, "Good for her." And now, this week, she's kind of tongue in cheek saying, "What do you think, the goddess Venus?" You know, so
2: right, you know,
1: right. uh, Donna with her sort of, I like her name, Donna Noble. You know, noble mm. noble lady um, with her sort of Venus connections. You kind of start. I think it it's pointing to her as sort of you know, maybe we can think about, I don't quite know what to do with that. Cause I really just noticed that this week,
0: <laughs> but, um, right. Right. So if, if you know, we keep our ears, I'd open, like to keep my eye additional... out for it.
1: Yeah. Cause I think maybe we can learn a little bit of, about Donna from that. So, mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah, no, very interesting. And, uh, and being Donna noble, of course she's wearing purple, which is the, the sort of color of royalty. Right? Yes. um, I don't know. It's just a sort of visual aspect to that, but
2: yeah.
0: Cool. Well, good. Good deal. Okay. Looking forward to uh to more Donna and seeing. So I guess if uh if patterns emerge, uh-huh. then we'll probably be going into the future.
1: Mm, maybe soon. Yes. Yes. I think maybe. that is a good guess. <laughs> You'll find um, out very quickly whether you're right. Um, yeah but i'm sure i will i think i i have trained you well (laughs) to look for these patterns and that seems like a reasonable guess
0: um yeah although i suppose this i don't know well i don't know if i want to make this prediction or not but i mean the new 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 york Uh um no longer has face of bow but i guess that doesn't mean they couldn't still possibly end up there so i don't i don't know if uh Mm. hmm. anyway i don't know okay i don't know we shall see i I will i will
1: um i will tell you that next time there's a return of a group of characters so there's your teaser for next week that there's a group which is coming back which you will recognize
0: so a group okay all right interesting i'm intrigued i will stop recording and go watch it now (laughs) and you can all hear us talk about it next week
1: all right see you then